eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Game week, Georgia Tech game preview. Greg, I'll start with you first. Uh, I think I said it off the air. I'm not 100% sure if it's accurate, but I'll simplify it a little bit. Georgia Tech's run defense is bad. Give us your uh, stat take on this Georgia Tech team, and then we'll get into why they're as bad as they are and what North Carolina has to do to deal with them in Atlanta. Well, I think you have to look at kind of where they started from in terms of last year. And in FEI, which is Brian uh, Fremo's, I guess I think that's how you pronounce his name. That's kind of his take on the metrics. He's kind of on the counter to, to Bill Connolly's S&P. Uh, he had Georgia Tech at 107 nationally last year in uh, total defense, well below what North Carolina was for those uh, curious. And then in terms of you know, S&P, Georgia Tech was 100. Um, so the fact that they're struggling defensively shouldn't come as a surprise if you understand exactly what's taking place. I'll let Jason elaborate on that in, in a second. Uh, but the defense clearly is important, but uh, I think Jeff Collins has a pretty good background. I, I think he is a good coach. Is he a good enough coach uh, to turn the Georgia Tech program around to where they're consistently competing in the Coastal? We'll have to see, uh, but I, I think his, his pedigree is good, and he 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 talks the talk, and I've been impressed with him thus far and you know, things that he says. Uh, but let's not underestimate what he's going through now. I mean, I think we can all agree that Mac Brown, who is at two and three through his first five games at North Carolina, he had a tough transition. It is nowhere near as tough as what Jeff Collins is going through. Um, when you when you look at what he has offensively, and there's a reason uh, Tobias Oliver's you're playing playing a lot of quarterback for him. It's because I mean. Oliver is a quarterback for a triple option team. And that's not what Collins wants to do, but he didn't really have a choice. And so we can get into that, but he, he is having to rely on the run because that's how this team is currently constructed. Uh, it will certainly shift from that. Uh, but that is a massive overhaul. You talk about going from Larry Fedora to Phil Longo. I mean, we're, 
we're, we're kind of picking nits a little bit. We're talking about more vertical passes compared to you know, more of the you know, short passes, long gains. Uh, and there is a difference there for sure. But we're not talking about going from a triple option to you know what what would assume to change into like a pro style type approach with with what Collins wants to do. Um, so just a massive overhaul for him. And as much as we've talked about you know, confidence and the importance of, of you know, building a mindset, how you want to approach each and every week, it is a lot tougher for him. And so the the foundation is kind of the key point for him to have to fix. We knew with all the injuries in recent years that North Carolina, I mean, they had the pieces in place to be able to win some games. Maybe not perform as well as they have thus far, uh, but you know, I don't think it's a shock to anybody that they've had some success. Uh, and Georgia Tech's just a uh, a different animal right now. Jason, uh, Fred Flintstone's car to a Jason Staples car transition for Georgia Tech on offense. But tell me why their defense. We talked about it a little bit off the air. Tell me why their defense is uh, as it is currently uh, down there in Atlanta because they have been flat brutal early in the season. Well, I mean, I'm going to reinforce what Greg just said in that I'm looking at the other side of football outsiders. I'm looking at Bill Connolly's rankings from last year. Defensively, they were, they were uh, let's see, overall on defense, they were 100th in SP+. And in passing SP plus defending the pass, they were 116th in the country defensively last year and 123rd on passing downs. So they've been bad on defense for a while. And a lot of that got hidden by the fact that they were only seeing, you know, nine possessions a game because of the offense that they're playing, that they're playing with. Uh, Also beyond that, one of the reasons that that teams that run a lot of uh, that run a lot of triple option style, like true flex bone stuff. I mean, everybody runs option these days, but the true flex bone stuff, the stuff that's hard to recruit for, the Paul Johnson style stuff. One of the reasons that it's ultimately hard to sustain a consistent program with that is one: you can't. You're you're generally struggling to recruit top talent not just on one side, but on both sides of the ball. And they, they didn't do a great job of bringing in really good defensive talent for the last eight, nine years. So number one, they're not very talented. Number two, you're, you, when are you going to practice playing against the pass? Right? I mean, this is one of those things about, and, and it's one of the things I really appreciate about Mac Brown's approach is, in order to be a complete team, and this is a mistake that a lot of former coordinators, when they take over a head coaching job, make this mistake. A lot of guys come in and they say, I was hired to coach offense, and now I'm going to be the head coach, and we're going to score 60 points a game, and we're going to win. And then, well, yeah, you're scoring 60, but your defense isn't very good. And one of the reasons that your defense isn't very good is you're running a one-dimensional style off or a a specific type of offense that is what your defense is used to seeing. And then you play other offenses and your defense hasn't defended anything like what they, like what you do. 
or like what those teams do. All they've done is defend what you do. And that's one of the reasons that you want to maintain some level of balance offensively in order to be able to at least rep that stuff in practice during different points of the year. So that's helpful. And that's not helpful to a team like Georgia Tech. So they were bad against the defense the last few or bad on defense the last few years, and especially against the pass, partly because they just never had to face a decent pass offense in practice. And you get better when you're playing against good competition in practice. So then you combine that with a scheme shift with a regime change that involves all the stuff that comes with that. And you're dealing with one of the least talented teams, maybe maybe the least talented team in the HTC in a brand new system, which is always going to make things a little bit harder and you're going to respond a little bit slower to begin with. And not only are they not especially talented, but they're, they're still not used to defending the sorts of things that everybody else does. That that's a triple whammy for what you're doing on defense. And Jeff Collins is a really good defensive coach. If they're not playing well on defense, there's not many people that would have them playing it a whole lot better than him. So, you know, it's like you said, it's a, it's a tough situation for him to take over and, you know, one that's much harder than what Mac Brown has done. And I, I think he's a really good coach. I think the other thing that he's done really well already is getting, getting really aggressive recruiting the state of Georgia and really pushing for Georgia tech to be Atlanta's team, which is a little hard to do, but, the energy there has been really good and I've paid attention to who they've offered early on some of this stuff. And their their staff has done a really good job of recognizing guys that are maybe a little under the radar that are better than their ratings and all of this. They're doing a good job recruiting and identifying talent. And I think North Carolina is doing that as well, but they're going to be better. They're going to be, they're going to be decent soon. It's just probably not in the next year or two. And certainly not this year because it's going to take some time to rebuild. Greg. So as, as, has been the theme all week you've got a North Carolina team that just played the best team in the country or one of them and maybe the best program in the country and now you got to line up and play against a team like Jason said might be the worst team in the conference Mac Brown didn't seem too pleased in his uh, midweek press conference after practice Um, so the challenge is there for North Carolina to come out and play with that same intensity. So can they, will they, uh, I mean, that's a, obviously the question we'll be watching, but my question to you is how could they not given what's going on in the first month of the season? I think that gets to the, the crux of this culture change that Mac Brown is, is going through. And, uh, I know fans don't really understand it. Mac Brown even talked about this last week, that there is a difference in playing hard and playing with passion. And he he said, you know, sometimes people outside of the sport don't understand the difference, meaning you can play hard every single week. You know, most teams do. There's a difference when you play with passion compared to when you play hard. Um, And maybe that's something Jason can expand on for us. But Mac's point was, you know, when you're playing with passion, you're getting down just a little bit deeper in your stance. You're getting a little bit better leverage. You're coming with a little bit more firepower. And it's not that you're not playing hard. I mean, you look at the film and it's all these guys were playing hard. 
but how much do you want it? Um, and the point being that the great teams find a way to get it done. Like, it, I don't think any of us think Clemson played their A game last week. We knew if a, Clemson played their A game, they win that game handily. But North Carolina did enough to trip up Clemson to where they weren't playing their best. But yeah, what happens? When Clemson has to make a play, they get a 38-yard touchdown. And Jason did an excellent job breaking down that play in terms of you know, North Carolina. I thought the scheme was good there. Uh, but Trevor Lawrence is a, an elite quarterback for a reason. And then when it comes to the two-point conversion, Clemson was ready for it. And so regardless of how they played the entire game, when it mattered most, they were able to get the job done. And so that's the culture change that, that Max really kind of getting to is we've, we've asked questions over the years of, well, Carolina was so close. I mean, they had a lead in the fourth quarter, and somehow they lost again. And it's just these little details. And that's what he's really trying to drive home to these guys is, you know how you practice preparing for, for Clemson? We have to do that every single week. I mean, there's no way for you to think that you're good enough to beat anybody on the schedule if you're not doing every little thing to the best of your ability week in and week out. So that's one of the reasons that last week I said I really kind of looked at these two games uh, kind of as, as a group, as a collective, because you knew Clemson was going to, you know, North Carolina was going to be prepared for them. They were going to play to the best of their ability. And if everything went right, which it pretty much did, that would be competitive. But then what happens this week? when you know that you're better than the team you're playing, even though you do have to go on the road and play somewhere where it's difficult, um, how, how does the team handle that transition? And your Mac didn't say they practiced poorly. He said they didn't practice as well as they did last week. And that's maybe semantics, but I think it kind of gets at the, the crux of the issue of he's trying to get these guys to perform at this high level week in and week out. Uh, and thus far this week in practice, they haven't quite met that level, and he wants to make sure that on game day on Saturday, they don't allow Georgia Tech to hang around. I thought it was funny, Mac Brown talking about the hamburger eaters and things like that. And his his uh <laughs> his um we we've all had those. I've had those on travel baseball teams, man. Uh, and they are, they are tough to deal with. But let me uh <laughs> let me uh quickly get in a word about our sponsor, JohnnyTShirt.com. Of course, you guys know that they're wonderful sponsors of this podcast. They're wonderful sponsors and a part of our website at InsideCarolina.com. They're certainly a part of the tailgate show or the countdown to kickoff show we do in the bowls lot every week. And you guys, if you haven't been yet, you need to get out there prior to the Duke game, uh, Virginia game, and Mercer game because they offer a lot of good swag and a chance to win a jersey and footballs and all that kind of stuff. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com, certainly alumni-owned and operated down there on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. The place to check out when you're in Chapel Hill, whether you're visiting the school, whether you're there for a game, certainly go in, buy whatever you need, North Carolina-related. Tar Heels this, Tar Heels that. They have literally everything you could possibly want as a North Carolina fan online, same way. Great customer service, great shipping speeds. You know, you, you just cannot find fault at all in JohnnyTShirt.com. A wonderful business on Franklin Street, a wonderful 
um, experience online and certainly a wonderful sponsor for this podcast. And Inside Carolina Premium subscribers, of course, you get that 10% off your order, you know, whether it's online or in person. You can't beat Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com for all your Carolina needs. Jason, describe the difference in playing hard versus, like Greg said, playing with passion. I mean, isn't it 100% in the details? It's hard to describe, but we all know it. We all know it when we see it. I mean, I I got the famous Potter Stewart quote in my head right now. But, you know, this this is so critical to learn. And I talked about it last week when talking about Clemson and talked about my experience when I first got to Florida state and was given, was talking to my dad after that first week. And it was like, how is it? And it's like, man, I, I always thought I played with a lot of intensity. I, I played, you know, I, I worked out, I played harder than anybody, but I get down here and it's just like, everything is just turned up to the point where guys would literally rather you pull out a gun and shoot them in the head than them lose the next rep in summer. (laughs) that is the thing that it's like the passion is there to where I will die for doing to do this the right way. So that that's there. That's, that's one way of describing. I'm going to take another step back and and think about it this way um, or describe it this way. You mentioned details. You can, you can run really hard. You can, uh, you can do, you can, you can put in a lot of effort, especially in a game. You can, you can do the, you can put the high effort thing in, but not do it with conviction or belief in what you're doing or the purpose of what you're doing. And all of us have been in those situations where we're doing something and we're, we're, we're working hard at it. We're, we're, we're making sure that we're handling our responsibility as best we can. But then there've been other times where we've been doing something that we really believe in, that we really love, that we really think is going to make a difference in the world or make a difference for our kids or whatever. And it just, it's that extra couple percent. And that extra couple percent, they're the hardest to get but it's what separates you. And, you know, we've all been there with the people who speak with passion. Person may be a really good, really polished, really fluid speaker, but it's different hearing somebody that you know, like that person really believes what that person is saying. That's, that. it's just different. And when you get that level of passion, it comes down in the preparation. It, like you said, it's you're getting into your stance a little bit, a little bit more, attention to detail in that you're you're getting to the to where instead of well i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna block block my guy hard and then well you know i got beat it's the i'm getting beaten and then there's that extra like no i refuse to get beat it's that piece that's the passion and the other the other quote that comes to mind about this is john wooden's old play fast but don't hurry and that I think gets to that same thing that you, you don't actually, if you play with passion, you don't actually feel like you're playing hard. That's the other side of that 
if you're if you're trying to play hard, if you're forcing yourself to play hard, then you're not playing with passion. You're 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 given that 85 or 90 percent because you know I'm, I'm trying to do my best. But when you're really passionate on something, when you're really doing it because you have conviction, because you believe, it doesn't feel like work. And you're exhausted and it's over before, and, and you've succeeded before you even realize like, oh man, I'm beat. Because you've been, you've been completely enveloped by the task. And that's different from somebody who's trying to play fast who's trying to, who's hurrying. And now you've got the trying part. No, that's not the same. The person who's, who's got the conviction, who's really wrapped up in it like that, they're going to play fast, but they're not even going to feel like they're never going to feel hurried. They're going to, they're going to be doing it pretty much naturally because it's built in from inside out. And you know, that's the Holy grail. When you're coaching, that's what you're trying to get out of your players. When you're a player, you're trying to get into that. You're trying to get into that flow, into that, into that zone where you're just playing with passion because of the joy of it rather than just doing it because you're trying hard. And there, there's a big difference there. And, and that's one of the big tasks of this coaching staff is to get them to do that. And that's one of the reasons why we talked about this before last before the game against Clemson. And we said, whether it's close, whether it's a blowout, whatever, and this is something I know, Greg, you said too. You can't let Clemson beat you twice. And the biggest thing, the biggest benefit that you get out of playing a Clemson is getting a chance to see what that level of passion and intensity looks like up close. And especially if you get to have success, and they did have some success there, had a lot of it. And you're, you realize like that's the level of passion and intensity that we need to play at that level. Now it's just like, you know, you, you, you groove a golf swing just right. And the next time you go up there, you're not like, ideally, you're not trying to think about swing thoughts at that point. You're just trying to feel like, okay, that's what, that's what, what, what a golf swing feels like. Like, that's what it should feel like. All right. Let me just try to feel that again. And that's when you start getting into a nice groove and you start hitting some flush shots. And then eventually, you know, it catches up that, you know, you lose the feeling, you know, well, I lost it. But that's what you're trying to do. That's what this staff is trying to do this week is they're saying, you know what you felt last week when you played at that level, bottle that don't, don't worry about any of anything else right now, match the intensity level that you had to take yourself to, to beat Clemson, to compete with Clemson. And if you do that, then we're going to be playing at a championship level real quick. That's the, that's the trick. And Regardless of whether they'd gotten blown out or with a close loss, or even if they'd won, that's the challenge this week, and that's what they're trying to do. Jason, I think those of us that that have children or or, or close to to young uh, adults, kind of helping them through life, understand exactly what you just said. In terms of there's there's you, my son, for example, is a middle schooler, and he's worked very hard on a book report. That's to tomorrow and yet there's there's more that we have to get out of it and he doesn't understand it and it frustrates <laughs> him so i i'm kind of living this right now um and i don't want to make this a, a referendum on larry fedora that's that's not the intent here but i'm curious 
when the team has, has lost the, the way that they've lost the past two years, and even the end of 2016, you know, we've been down that road before, how, how much of this is players kind of get used to losing and they lose that edge? How much of it is the coaching staff has to instill that in his players? Um, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, how does Mac Brown, you mentioned the coaches have to kind of beat this into these guys. How does the coaching staff do that? Is it a matter of you've got to recruit the right guys? Is it a matter of guys have to believe like you mentioned earlier? Or is, is there something else in terms of the difficulty and pulling it out? Because it sounds easy, uh, but clearly it is not. <laughs> yeah, it's not. And and actually, I, I think that there's something to this. I mean, I, I, I've been thinking, and I don't want to, again, I don't want to make it a referendum on, on Dora either. Uh but there are a couple things that I've said so far in this in this podcast that have kind of reminded me of Fedora's way of doing things. Uh, particularly, let's focus on doing doing offense the way that we do offense, for example, and you know sc- score some points, but defensively maybe not quite get that side of the ball right. Number one, number two, play the, the play fast but don't hurry. I got the feeling at different points, and and especially toward the end of the of the Fedora era, that there was a lot of hurrying in order to try to play fast, in order to try to have fast as an identity where there was hurrying rather than really building conviction and attention to detail in, which then results in speed. And that's, that's the, that's the transition. That's the big transition that I think Mac Brown and his staff tried to try to get in play. Even during the spring is like, guys, we want to teach you the difference between hurrying and being fast. And so that's number one is learning how to prepare in such a way that you're, that you're priming yourself to enter that zone. Uh, but the, the other side of this is the, is the really hard part. And, you know, you're bringing up your, your son is, 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 that's a great example. Here's the thing is if your son read a book that was his own choice that he was really actually interested in and then found that book, enthralling or whatever it would be easy for him to write multiple blog posts to right basically become an evangelist for that book because Amen. he believed it and and it became that passion of like man this is great and this is coming from me but when somebody else wants you to do it and you have to do it well that's the difference and i'll never forget that so the example for me is I'll never forget when I was a kid, this is probably nine years old or so. I woke up in the morning and I looked around and I went, man, this place is a mess. I got to clean my room. And not five minutes later, my mom walks in and says, you got to clean your room, man. This is terrible. And I right then and there resolved, I am not cleaning my room. <laughs> because she told me to. I wanted to, if I, if I, if she had not said anything there, that room would have been pristine later that day. But I, and, and then I had the, and then I had that immediate thought, like I was, uh, I was introspective enough to think about this for a second. Like, wait a second. Only reason I don't want to do it now is because she told me to, but I don't want to do it because she told me to, because then it will seem like I'm just doing it because she told me to, <laughs> right? <laughs> but that impulse is exactly what you're battling as a coach is you're trying to get the the want to in your players to be from them, not because you're telling them to do it, but because they want to do it. 
And that's the, that's the, 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 the difficulty is getting them to believe in what you're doing and what you're selling. And that coaching is salesmanship and it's teaching. It's those two things. You know, motivation is, is the third thing really, but that's, you can kind of roll that under salesmanship, but it's getting those guys to say, man, this is, I want to win and this is the right way to do it. And I'm going to do this because I believe in it. And now you've got the passion. And I saw the difference in that. I'm going to go back to my own experience at Florida State. When I got there in 2000, that level of passion is what I saw. And they went to the national championship again that year, right? That was their, what, third national championship game in a row. It was the final year of 14 straight years in the top four. And I got to see that level of accountability and passion in my first year on campus. And it was to the point where we had early morning lifting that was completely voluntary. Nobody was taking names. Nobody was doing anything. We had 35 guys, 40 guys getting up at 5.30 in the morning to get there at 6 o'clock for Kevin Fitzgerald, our assistant strength coach, to lead us all through a, you know, a, an especially difficult and grueling early morning workout. And I can go down the list of the guys that showed up to that 6 o'clock workout for you know those months and I'm talking about this was voluntary but it was team led it was one of those like certain guys are like hey you guys you got to come to this let's go but out of those 40 or 50 guys or whatever it was that was there there were, there were probably 30 guys that ended up playing the in the NFL and it was it was just one of those things that we're going to do this because nobody else is doing this and we're going to do this because we want to we want to be that good within 2 years by 2002 I was watching teammates skip out of man almost they they were voluntary quote unquote but they were they were quasi mandatory cuz they they came in the new coaching staff the new strength staff came in and they put in a new a new uh system where everybody had their specific hour that they had to come in like here's your hour hour and a half uh time slot you're going to work out with these teammates here's going to be the assistant strength coach that's going to work with you five there there's et cetera. And then you had to get them to sign off on your base lifts. Like, okay, you're going to do, you know, 225 on the bench six times. And you have, that's your final set. And you've got to get the assistant strength coach in charge of your subunit to sign off that he saw you do it. And I watched that team go from where you had Anquan Bolden, Nick Maddox, and, you know, all these guys, Chris Winkie, all these guys that were self-motivated and the coaches would, all they would have had to do is unlock the freaking gym and everybody would have been in there because it was player led and they believed and they wanted to be there. It went from that to having to get stuff signed off on. And I watched that team go to where guys were trying to cut out on workouts, guys, eh, well, you know, I, I, don't, I ain't got to do that. I don't want to do that. And watched the difference where it, it went from player-oriented motivation to coach-down motivation. And look at the results. 2001, 2002, 2003 at Florida State, totally different from 2000. Reverse engineering that is what your, what your goal is if you're Mac Brown. Reverse going the opposite direction and saying, all right, how can I get them to buy in? And this is where a game like the Clemson game is a great gift because they felt it. And, you know, 
Greg, I know you can golf. You know, you can, you can hit the golf ball. When you feel the first really flush shot you ever hit, or when, you know, you haven't played in a while and, you know, you're not hitting it real well on the range. And then all of a sudden you hit that one that you just hit so pure and you go, oh yeah, this is why I play this stupid game. And then, you know, you're making a, making a swing change or whatever, like this. Okay. Now I believe in it. Now I get why I'm doing, why I'm swinging this way. And then it becomes addictive. And then you're going to get to where like, I'm going to, I'm going to be out here. I'm going to beat these balls until I can actually do this repeatedly. That's what you're trying to do. And the goal, the way you do this as coaches is first of all, you have to get them to do the things that are going to lead to that success enough times to rep it before they've really completely bought in. You have to kind of top down authority it for a little bit, but then if you can just, and this is the hard part, if you can just find a way to get them, get them to enough success to where they look around and they go, dang, this works. And that's the flush shot. That's hitting it. That's hitting it right on the screws. That's hitting it right in the center of the face. And all of a sudden you're sitting next to the pin and you go, man, coach, you, I just did that. I just, man, we just competed with Clemson. We should have, we should have won that game. And he goes, you know, if you keep doing things the way that we're doing them and you push that 1% harder, we win that game. And not only that game, we're going to win all of them. Now you've got that belief and you tr- add, add a few additional better players down the line and you've got the culture that can win championships. And that's what they're trying to do. And that's why this week is so critical. Tommy, yeah. that is the curse of golf is that if you have a really, <laughs> a really bad round of golf, you undoubtedly will get to number 18 and you'll hit a shot and be like, Damn, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Yeah. Isn't that what life's all about? So chasing true. that high? Golf is just life. You're chasing that, chasing that birdie. Uh, you know, what do they say, Jason? Bad teams have no leadership. Good teams have coach leadership. Great teams are led by the players. That's what I've always said. No, that's exactly right. And that was my experience. I watched it firsthand at Florida State go from player-led with some amazing leaders, guys that that just everybody followed and everybody did what and, – and leadership begat leadership. It went from that to coach-led to nobody was leading. Yeah, it, it turns on a dime. We'll see how Carolina handles it. We'll talk about it after the break. We'll come back. Carolina, Georgia Tech, and Atlanta. Uh, Let's take a short break. We'll come back and get into the game plan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
All right, Greg. Uh, I talked about the stats a little bit earlier in the podcast, and we'll talk about uh, talk about them a plenty on the countdown to kickoff show on CHL before the game. But let's get into it. Georgia Tech's rush defense terrible. Carolina's best position on the field running back. Maybe Sam Howell is taking over that at, at the quarterback position, but. You got to feel like this is a game that Carolina needs to get any kinks out of the offensive line and just run, run, run against Georgia Tech, which is quite funny because that's what Georgia Tech used to do to teams all day, every day under Paul Johnson. Yeah, Georgia Tech is allowing 5.1 rushing yards per play. Um, so you don't have to be a very good math individual to understand that <laughs> it's going to take you two plays on average to, to get a first down running against them. Um, and so I, I think the key is for North Carolina to, to be able to do enough uh, in the passing game. And he, it, you don't have to get fancy at all, uh, but you have to keep the defense just honest enough where you can capitalize on some of those runs. Um, and I, I think one of the good things coming out of the, the Clemson game is Finally, we saw Brian Anderson really kind of stand up there in the middle. Um, he, he was better than he had been in previous weeks. He still has a ways to go in his development for sure, as well as pretty much everybody on that line does. But the fact that you have a guy like Charlie Heck who has a broken hand, he comes back. I, I really believe in talking with the, the players and coaches this week, by him playing in a situation where he didn't necessarily have to play, and Mac talked about this, that this week, that – and maybe some guys are trying to get to the NFL. They don't want to risk, number one, the injury. But number two, they don't want to risk looking bad against a really good defense. But Heck toughed it out. And this offseason, what did we talk about? You know, Mac was adamant that we've got to see if this offensive line is going to be tough. That was an act of toughness. And I think that really resonated with the offensive line. And, and they, they played you know, arguably their best game of the year. Um, and so I think if you're able to, to uh, you know, prevent some breakdowns up front, so, so prevent some of those tackles for losses and allow Javante, Michael Carter, who have really become kind of the, the two-headed monster there, to have some success, takes a ton of pressure off Sam Howe, who can then do a lot of things in the passing game. I, I think it's important to, to be able to – I think we can say a lot of the same things we said about the Clemson game, right? That if North Carolina is able to come in, and get a lead early, well, things maybe will snowball. Kind of like we said about Clemson. Clemson comes in there and gets a 14-point lead. That game probably gets out of hand. But what did North Carolina do? They struck first. Um, and so you, it took some time for Clemson to kind of work back in being on the road. You don't want that to happen for North Carolina. So I think the, the scripted play portion of this is important for Phil Longo to really get his team, even if it's a couple of field goals, get your team on the board get them maybe out in front that immediately puts pressure on Georgia tech that immediately kind of gets them behind the eight ball to where they're saying, okay, here we go again. And that's critical in this game. And you do that by running the ball, uh, Mac Brown, maybe more, well, certainly more so than Larry, maybe more so than Mac, uh, Butch Davis, although he was big on this. If you can outrush your opponent, um, that's a pretty good indication of how you're going to do the stats these days maybe don't match up with that. That's kind of more of a traditional uh, belief. He's adamant about that, and he's really harped on, hey, we outrushed Clemson, and that was a critical component of this. Uh, so, yeah, with with their strength being with those running backs, 
Uh, don't expose yourself too much in the passing game. Limit the opportunity for some interceptions and turnovers. And if you can lean on that that ground attack, you really put yourself in good position to win this game. Maybe you're going away. Jason, against Georgia Tech, does Carolina need to get, and I don't want to say cute in the uh, old way we used to say cute, but do they need to do a lot of um, pulling and things like that? Or, or is this a game where they just line up and run downhill on Georgia Tech? Well, I mean, in order to run downhill, you generally need to pull. Oh, come on. <laughs> so I knew I said yeah, that I mean, that's on the, the thing. Golf reference. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is that they run a lot of, a lot of power and, and, you know, that, that type of, of run game. And if you're going to get downhill that way, if you're going to, if you're going to use the power downhill running game, then you're going to need, generally need to pull people because that's, that's going to be a situation where front side, you're going to get a double team and then you're pulling in order to be able to facilitate a kick out and get a lead. Uh, because there's going to be somebody that's got a bubble on the backside and you can't, that's a wasted player if he's not pulling. So yeah, they're going to, you're going to see pulling. It's going to be a lot because that's part of, part of the system. Uh, they, they've committed to running that kind of power rushing attack. And so far it's been pretty good. Uh, they're still having to learn some of the intricacies of how to pull uh, and you know how tight to be at different points, and you know when you skip pull versus when you uh, when you when you do it, you know as a more traditional pull. That I mean, there's a number of different things that they're learning, and learning how to you know play next to different guys. But yeah, they're gonna they're gonna we're gonna see pulling. We're gonna see some inside and outside zone. We're gonna see the basic Phil Longo running game. Now, if I'm Phil Longo, I would prefer not to have to throw but maybe eight ten times in the first half if that uh because i'm gonna i'm gonna see if i can just go ahead and run it down their throats and get enough of a lead with the run game that i can then feel comfortable working on on some throwing stuff in the second half but you know that that defense gave trevor lawrence a a bit of a a bit of difficulty in that for in that opener uh, Jeff Collins does a really good job in terms of back seven, in terms of of disguise and all that. And you're talking about a second year, Trevor Lawrence, and first versus first year Sam Howell. Lawrence has seen a lot, and there was some stuff that they got him on. They nearly got the pick six uh, that got returned down inside the five, uh, and that was the second time that he should. The first time he should have been picked on that as well. That there, there was some stuff. There's some stuff they do in the secondary that will give you trouble. And if, if how, it, it, listen, if a real life elf is struggling with that sort of thing, with all of the accuracy that comes with with the the <laughs> with being an elf, then you know I'm I'm a little bit concerned to have a true freshman Sam Howell go in there and sling it around the yard. I want to make sure that that first half I'm running the ball a ton. And pounding it down Georgia Tech's, and then, then I can work on some stuff with a lead. That's that's how I'm thinking about it. Tommy, I think kind of the way to the quantify this is Georgia Tech has defended 81 pass attempts through four games. Now, granted, the Citadel <laughs> does that that triple option deal, so uh, you know that, that skews it a bit. But we're talking about Clemson ran. Ran it 49 times for 411 yards. That's 8.4 yards per carry. 
South Florida, which is the game that Georgia Tech won, they actually limited them to, to 92 yards on 30 carries. That's pretty good. Citadel ran 71 times. And then Temple uh, ran 49 times for 200 yards. So that's not necessarily great, but it's good. I mean, we're talking about, you know, four yards uh, per carry, which, which is plenty at, at this level. Um, and so when you're, when you're able to have that kind of success running the ball against Georgia Tech, you don't have to rely on your passing game that much. And that's, that's been a big part of the, the problem for, for Georgia Tech. So let's flip it over, talk about Carolina's defense. Jason, they got to stop. Well, I almost said they got to stop the be back, even though I'd have, I was <laughs> – I would have been joking, I swear to you. I would have been joking. I wouldn't ask you a stupid oh, – Stop the dive. No, stop the dive. <laughs> no, no roll, roll with it. Roll with it and just, you know, actually uh, find a way to roll with that. Yeah, go with it again. Yeah, really. Oh, there's – no, no, no. I'm not editing this. I meant to say stop the be back. <laughs> That's a joke, see. But uh, so so let's get serious for a second, maybe, perhaps. Uh, Chess Surratt played the game of his life against Clemson. Uh, Jeremiah Gimmel looked well against Clemson. John Smith has entered the transfer portal um, on his way down to Atlanta for the Georgia Tech game. Um, where does Carolina make its hay against Georgia Tech's normal offense? But it still has some hints of you know that that option type offense they they have to given the personnel they still have but Carolina what do you see Bateman doing to attack a Georgia Tech offense it's going to be vastly different than Clemson or maybe maybe closer to Wake Forest than any team Carolina's played you're going to want to make them beat you throwing the ball and they're not a team that really terrifies you outside so this is this is one of those games where I, I could see them lining up with a loaded box quite a bit of this game. Whether that's uh whether that's you know out of out of a two shell where you're playing some quarters and each guy is kind of half in the box depending on where the run goes, or whether you're going a single safety and bringing a guy fully down into the box. This is one of those games where I think you're you're committing to take away what they do there and you're 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 begging them to beat you throwing the ball because they they really don't have uh they just don't i mean they're 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 a triple option offense that's just converted to a different offense that's trying to trying to piece this together and the thing that collins and staff have done that's smart is that they've retained a lot of the option principles they're just doing it out of the gun and all that other stuff they're still running a lot of options so in that sense Stopping the B back effectively is right because they're still running that inside dive, that inside uh, inside zone, and some of the veer stuff. They're still running a lot of that because that's what those guys knew to do, and that's what the personnel can do. But what that means is you're still having to focus on stopping stopping that stuff. It's it looks different in terms of formation. Some of it is different, but by and large, you're just trying to stop the run and make sure that, that you get some three and outs, get them behind the sticks and make them have to throw on third and on third and long. And then you got some chances to, to cause some problems for them because they just, that's, that's not Trevor Lawrence back, back there. He's not walking through that door again. Yeah. Tommy, Tommy, let me break this down for you real easy. Cause Jason's exactly right. What you want to make Georgia tech do is to work for their points. If you give them, cheap scores, 
that's going to be where your problem lies. And I don't know that Georgia Tech really has that in terms of uh, their offensive skill set. What we know about Jay Bateman is that he is big on the the specialty stats, right? The situational stats in terms of he doesn't care about yards per play. He doesn't care about, uh, clearly doesn't care about yards per game. What happens when things get serious? What happens on third down? What happens in the red zone? How are you as a defense in those situations? That's all he cares about, right? And when we look at this Georgia Tech offense, they are not good in those situations. I mean, this this Georgia Tech offense <laughs> is 126th nationally in third down conversions, right? They are 130th in red zone offense, and I think they're 119th in red zone touchdown percentage. So they may be able to move the ball a little bit, even though they're not great offensively by any stretch. But they're specifically not good on third down, and they're specifically not good in the red zone. And that's what Jay Bateman preaches. And so just from that standpoint, I think schematically Bateman's going to be like, you know what? We're not giving up anything easy. We're going to try to get them in third and long, which is what we always try to do. But they're not going to have any chunk plays. If they want to nickel and diamonds down the field, have at it. They can do something they haven't done all year. And they can they can win the game that way. You tip your hat to them, but they're going to have to do something they haven't done yet. And so we're going to make them convert on third down. We're going to make them if they get into the red zone, we're going to make them make enough plays to score. Uh, and so I think that's really the approach. Is yeah, I mean, if you want to say conservative, fine, but really just just kind of protect yourself in the back end, especially with so many young guys back there. That's kind of what they did against Clemson, anyway. Uh, but you can you can use that on the back end to protect those guys. And then you know, if you want to shoot the gaps with the linebackers, however you want to do it, just mix it up enough up front to try to get them a little bit behind the chains. Uh, and that's when things kind of come undone for, for the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, the way we're talking about Georgia Tech, they'll come out and score 50 on Saturday, <laughs> even though they would have. They would have lost to the Braves last weekend um, with their performance. If, if, the if they did, if they did score 50, it would tell us that North Carolina didn't come out and play with passion. <laughs> it would uh, be the curse of the IC podcast. <laughs> let's, uh, cause, uh, well, let's try to redeem ourselves a little bit because last week in this uh, hour, we made some terrible predictions. And uh, we probably weren't the only ones. Of course, the entire Inside Carolina crowd made bad Clemson predictions. But, Jason, I'll come to you first. Carolina and Georgia Tech, uh, this is a game North Carolina's got to have. Uh, I heard my my term, Taylor Vipolis. This is a must-win for North Carolina. Uh, it's been talked about all week. So your thoughts on how it shakes out uh, about 4 o'clock down in Atlanta on Saturday. I do think it's going to be a challenge for North Carolina to come out with the kind of energy that, that they played with last week. I mean, as much as co- as the coaches are going to be all all over them to try to do that, their human nature is what human nature is. And especially when you lose that kind of, that, that kind of way, well, it, it gets, t- it gets tough. So I think there probably will be a little bit of an early lull. Uh, if there isn't, that's a good sign, but I, I would, I would anticipate a little bit of an early lull and then, Ultimately, I think that, that this North Carolina team is, is frankly just better than that Georgia Tech team. And they'll find their feet and ultimately be able to run the football and 
limit the run well enough that they should be able to win this game. So I'm going to go with North Carolina tw- uh, 38 to uh, Georgia Tech uh, 13. Oh my goodness, man. Did you read my mind? Uh, Greg, you're up. I'll have to change mine. Uh, give me a minute. Greg, you go Just ahead. Just go with it. It's the right score. <laughs> we'll see. I have not <laughs> been right very often. Greg, your thoughts. If I was superstitious, I would talk about how North Carolina has lost, I believe, nine of the last ten in Atlanta. How there are just some places that are just so tough to play, and it doesn't matter how good you are, it's just tough to overcome you know, a, a place, a, a stadium. However, I'm not superstitious whatsoever. And I think that one of the reasons North Carolina has struggled in Atlanta is because Georgia Tech's had pretty good teams, whereas North Carolina hasn't. And I don't think that's the case this time around. I think North Carolina clearly is the better team. I think the fact that the Georgia Tech lost to the Citadel and then got really embarrassed by, by Temple. I mean, they scored two points. Two points. You're almost better. Are you better scoring no points? I don't know. Um, Depends on how you I got think, the two. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Uh, I think this – I like Jeff Collins. Um, I think we've – Jason and I both said some good things about him. I, I think he's going to get that turned around down there for sure. It's not going to be this year. Um, I do think North Carolina, as much as they want to talk about matching the intensity, I think that is a work in progress. I do think they're going to come out a little sluggish. I do think they are a better team. And so I don't see this being a massive blowout. But I think this is a game maybe that's close in the first half and North Carolina pulls away. I've got UNC winning this one 28 to 10. 28 to 10, 38 13. One thing, and we can talk about this at some point in the future. I'm not quite sure why they struggle in Atlanta. Maybe it's because the teams are uh, not good or Georgia State's good. I can understand how the fans would struggle in Atlanta because it can get rowdy at night there. But the players, there's no excuse. I think Carolina comes out. Uh, this is a game that I'm watching about the passion, watching how they come out and play because at this point in the season, if you haven't learned it from Miami, South Carolina, and then playing like they did against Wake and App and then coming back against Clemson, if you hadn't learned the importance of that, um, that I might – see a little trouble down the road but not in Atlanta Jason I'm going price is right on you 38 14 Carolina over the yellow jackets <laughs> boys it's always been you'll be fun. over by one you'll, you'll be over by one that's the thing so that <laughs> we'll buzzer. talk again we'll, we'll see we, we we shall see what happens <laughs> we'll have to start putting a wager on these bad picks but Greg and Jason has always been fun Folks that are listening to this now, you have no idea the amount of editing that got us to this point. Uh, Maybe (laughs) one day we will have a blooper reel podcast, but not today. Greg, Jason, always fun. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. And show the safeties. Showthesafeties.com. That is Jason Staples' passion. Check it out. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. 
a new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with the pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.